morning. Uh, well, this, uh, this whole pastor thing uh, was, was not my plan A way back in the day. In fact, if uh, it wasn't really on my radar in high school, those kinds of things, I don't exactly come from a line of preachers. Uh, in fact, if you put like on, on a line, you know, family of preachers, and then what would be way down the other way, my family kind of falls that way. Uh, and we could share some stories maybe sometime over a cup of coffee or tea. But it uh, wasn't on my radar, and yet God is doing different things. I was going to go to business school. Some of you have heard this before, but uh, as, as we're looking at some of this stuff, and last week we were talking about John the Baptist as we're in this Luke study, a world turned upside down, and the Holy Spirit speaking to John the Baptist and him becoming in tune with that. To, this one pops up in my head again. And so planning to go to business school, and yet I had somebody in my life, my youth pastor, over and over. You should go to your Bible college. And I, was, no, I don't want to do a year of Bible college. I'll just kind of put me back. And no, you can get all your general eds there. And uh, they're good people and, and give you some foundation. Then you can move on to business school. And so after months and months of him uh, nagging me, uh, I, I said, okay, all right, fine. I'll, I'll give that a try. It kind of made sense. And so I told my mom and she was like, oh, you're going to Bible college, okay. I mean, and she was for it, that was positive, but just like I said, wasn't totally on the radar. And so uh, doing that, and, and I had gotten to school about 10 days early uh, as part of a group, and we were practicing before school started. And so after a long day of practice, probably 15 hours, I go back to my dorm. There's really hardly anybody else in the dorm. I think the soccer team was there, a couple others. And, uh, and it's dark, and it's quiet, and I'm spent, I'm exhausted. And I, I honestly, I feel like I'm in over my head in this new thing uh, that I'm a part of. And so as I'm laying in my bunk, I, I, I'm sitting there and just trying to go to sleep. And, and as I'm doing that, I, 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 I don't know, I hear this voice that says, uh, move to the bottom bunk. And, uh, and I'm like, what was, what was that? Like, did I, I didn't hear it. It wasn't in my ear, but it was kind of between my head and my heart is, I guess, how I described that. And, and so move on the bottom bunk. And I was like, all right, you're tired, dude. You just need to go to sleep. So I'm going to sleep. Move to the bottom bunk. And I'm like, God, is that you? Like, are you telling me to move to the bottom bunk? I'm comfortable. I'm here. I'm done. I'm ready to go to sleep. Move to the bottom bunk. And so, much like my youth minister, God's nagging at me, and I'm like, fine, all right, fine, God. I'll move to the bottom bunk, and I move down to the bottom bunk, and so I get settled, got my blanket down there, my pillow, and I'm in, and I get, I'm ready to go to sleep, and, uh, and I hear his voice, move to the, back to the top bunk. I'm like, what? No, no, I'm not moving. Back to the top bunk. Move to the top bunk. God, no, I'm not moving. I, you told me to move down here. I moved down here. Now I'm going to sleep. Move back to the top bunk. Fine, like I'm not going to be able to go to sleep. Fine, I'll move back to the top bunk. So I throw my stuff back up there. I climb back up in my bed and get settled again. And as I'm settling in there, uh, I sense this word obedience. And it was, it was one of those moments that, that have just registered and stuck with me. It, di it didn't have anything to do with where I was sleeping. It had everything to do uh, with me following him 
And I didn't know what he was going to be leading me to. My plan was absolutely still to just attend the one year, and then to move on uh, to business school. And God was teaching me to hear kind of his leading. And in seasons of my life, I do a better job of that than at others. And yet, trying to hear him and discern what he is saying is kind of all that's taking place here in the beginning chapters of the book of Luke. And so then he would call us into different things. And, and just being able to hear him into what he has next for us has been invaluable in my life. And so as we jump back into Luke, I kind of want us to be in that mindset that I think Jesus, even as it talks about him growing in stature and in favor with God and with man, that, that Jesus is learning even though he is one with the Father, he's connected with the Spirit. Uh, we saw his baptism last week and the Spirit descending on him. Again, not that he wasn't already connected to the Trinity, the triune God, and yet this display for those around to see that he was following the Holy Spirit as well. And so we see in the beginning of chapter 4, Jesus being tempted out in the wilderness for 40 days and the evil one coming to him and tempting him in different ways throughout this season. And so we're going to pick it up in verse 14. And it says this, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through, uh, throughout the whole surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And so I, I think that this is an interesting verse, that it says that, that he returned empowered by the Spirit. He had been out, he had been fasting, he was exhausted, he was spent He had been tempted, and not just three times that we read specifically, but I would think over and over again. And this temptation wasn't new to Jesus in this 40 days uh, in the wilderness. It had been throughout his entire life. And yet God himself, walking incarnate on earth, was empowered by the Spirit to return back. And, uh, and then he went about what he was doing, teaching in the whole region. And it said, uh, what did it say about him? That, that he was glorified by all. And so people were recognizing there's something different about this Jesus guy. And as he returns to his hometown, he went about his everyday business. The things that he would do, I don't know when you go home, like if you have a hometown, if you go and do some of the things that you used to do. I think I usually go to Garden of the Gods in Colorado Springs and take a hike. That's, that's my space. That's where I love to be. There's a restaurant called Gunther Tootie's uh, that's like this 50s diner, and there's like motorcycles up on, on the counter and stuff like that, and, and I love that place, and, and I grew up going to... Uh, Saturday morning men's study there, uh, and so I love going back and getting a big bopper and a cup of black coffee, and it's horrible coffee, and I love every ounce of it, you know, like just to go home and to do the things that I used to do, and so Jesus back in his hometown is doing something similar, except this isn't just what Jesus did in his hometown, it's what he did in all the places that he went. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue And as he joined them, they asked him to come up and to teach and to read. 
And so this is actually one of the earliest accounts of life within the synagogue that we have in all of Scripture. A lot of others actually come way later. And we don't know a ton. This is very different than worship at the temple where people were bringing sacrifices and and atoning for sin. The synagogue, a place that they would come together and read with one another and, and share teaching. We do know a few things. They really wouldn't have had a senior pastor. There wasn't one guy who was coming and sharing all the time. They would gather those who were respected in their community, and then if somebody would return like Jesus, so we see that he had gained some respect, would invite him in to open up the scriptures, to read from it. They didn't really have like a a liturgy or, or a specific set of verses outlined that they would read on any specific day, and so they would read from the scriptures. They would stand to do that and then sit to share their thoughts. And so we have this picture of the synagogue and what was taking place. And uh, it's likely that people were gathering from around because Jesus had been preaching in Capernaum, which was about 20 miles away. And so word was out about him. And many think that, that people had gathered when they heard that he was teaching and sharing. And so it says this in verse 17 says that the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. And so I think about this scene, right? That Jesus returns, is handed this scroll. It'd be the scroll of Isaiah would have rolled out right to left probably, the way it was written out. And it says that he found the place. My microphone's really not cooperating with me, and I wonder how that went. Now, if he got to Isaiah, I don't have a scroll. Sorry. And he read, The Spirit of the Lord. God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberties to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. I wonder if he sat there for another moment and the people's attention was just on him. What's Jesus, the son of Joseph and Mary, got to say about this? What what does he think about these verses? They would have absolutely known that these words out of Isaiah were words that were spoken about the coming Messiah, that they had waited thousands of years and the words themselves speaking of being freed from oppression, of bringing sight to the blind, of this thing that they had been hoping for as they're under Roman occupation and rule with some freedoms to worship as they please, but really not being able to live in their own land the way that God had intended, and they sat and waited. I wonder if Jesus collecting himself is just sensing this moment and taking it in. And Jesus Goes on, says, after he rolled up scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled 
at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth, and they said, is not this Joseph's son? So Jesus, with everybody's attention on him, says, today in your presence, these words have been fulfilled not, long, not any longer a promise from the past for some time in the future, but that the kingdom of God had arrived, that the one that they had awaited, the Messiah, had come, and, and he was fulfilling this in their presence, and it says that they marveled at his words, this, this word, the mazo, this, this thought of being astounded, astonished, and yet, as we continue to read, we see that they weren't necessarily astounded by the content of his message, but more how the message was being presented. They marveled at the fact that the son of Mary and Joseph, a family who had been riddled uh, with, with, uh, with bad, you know, that, that even from a childhood, that there was controversy surrounding this family, that this boy could rise up and string a few sentences together. They were amazed at his words, and Luke makes it a point to say that he began by saying, so this wasn't his whole sermon, he would continue on, and they marveled at the way that Jesus was teaching. And yet, all along, they're still missing what Jesus is saying. So astounded by the way that he would communicate that they're completely missing the spiritual point of what he is talking about. And possibly as he continued to teach, again, this is where people think that others gathered around and they wanted to come hear this Jesus talk, even though they were still missing the point. Verse 23, and sensing some of their disbelief, Jesus says, doubtless you will quote me in this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum do here in our hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But in truth I tell you this, there are many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up and three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath, to the, to the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha and none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. And so he shares these stories. He continues, it says, and when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. So again, Jesus understanding the carnality of their thoughts, the human level of which they were engaging him, being impressed by the way that he spoke and not really listening to the message. I mean, he just gave the word that the kingdom of God had arrived, that the Messiah that you've waited for for your lifetimes is finally here in your presence. And they were impressed. Man, man that was a good illustration that Jesus gave. Did you hear that? Who knew that Jesus was such a good talk teacher and, and presenter? And so he gives these other examples. And I wonder, though, if Jesus is in this last moment pleading with his family, his kith and kin, those that he was close to, surely most of them would have been familiar with him. And I wonder if he was coming to this place at the very beginning of his ministry to say, family and friends, the kingdom of God is at here, and I want you to be a part of bringing the kingdom to the world around us. I want you at my side. Will you join me in this? But it went over their heads. 
They didn't catch it. They didn't grab a hold of the message of freedom from bondage. They simply caught on to the humanity of the moment. And so Jesus gives a couple of examples sensing this. There was Elijah, he says. You remember him? The prophet that we speak so much about. And and Elijah was sent through Israel in this time of famine. And he was sent to a different land to a woman, a Gentile woman who God had prepared to take care of Elijah. And God was faithful through a Gentile. And then he says another example, Elisha, the apprentice, the protege of Elijah, who also did amazing great things. It says that it wasn't even an Israelite that came to him, but God sent a man, Naaman, who had leprosy, who was a commander in, in the army to him, to Elisha. And when he listened to Elisha's word and was obedient to them, he was healed of his leprosy. He says this healing skipped over the Israelites and came to the Gentiles. And I wonder if there was a sadness in Jesus in this moment of, man, I really wanted to do this with you guys. But it doesn't seem like you're catching it. it. Doesn't seem like you're getting it. It's okay. Because God has another way, another plan. God's plan was always to bring the Gentiles in. His message of love and grace of forgiveness was always supposed to be open to the whole world. In fact, his plan all along was to use Israel and bless them so that they could be a blessing on others. And yet the Israelites kept circling the wagons and just taking care of themselves. In fact, when they hear these words... Uh, of, of God working through Gentile, what does it say? It says that they were filled with wrath. Everybody in their hearing. How dare he say this? And so I feel like as he's putting this out there that they're starting to put the pieces together and they're saying, hold on, hold on a second. Did the son of Mary and Joseph just tell us that he is the Messiah? Hold on a second, wait, 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 wait. Are you saying that you're going to skip over the Israelites, that God wants to bring his message directly to the Gentiles, but we are God's chosen people and they are filled with wrath? Verse 29, we see this, and and they rose up and they drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. They wanted to see a miracle, check this out, but passing through their midst, he went away. What must that have been like? Did Jesus, being chased by this mob to the cliffside, did he just walk through them? You know, it's like like this Barry Sanders, Terrell Davis moment, nobody can get a, a hold of him. Or did he just kind of walk through and easily make their way through and nobody could grab him? Or did he just appear on the other side of the crowd and in this mob mentality, which we can all have pretty good visuals of right now, that Jesus was just separated from it? They were so filled with wrath and anger of the thought of, catch this, of God bringing a message of hope and love and healing to the whole world They were so put off by that that they were ready to kill one of their own. And from that day forward, people were set at killing Jesus. And I read this story and I I look at it and I go, you know, I I wonder if this is one of those passages that is great to read and go, man, those Israelites, what silly people. You know, they just really didn't get it. They just kept missing the point. Man, I'm glad we're not like them. 
right? Isn't this one of those passages you just kind of read through and you kind of move on from? And Jesus, how did that happen? How did he just pass through their midst? I don't know. Well, oh, well, we'll just move on because really the good stuff comes later. But I wonder what this message might have, these verses might have for us. If Jesus showed up on our Sabbath, you know, when you come to church, you're ready to worship, you're ready to hear something out of the Bible, and most of the time you agree with most of it anyway. You know, as long as the guy doesn't ask you to do something that's really going to change your life, you know, isn't that kind of our Sunday morning experience if we're honest with ourselves? And Jesus showing up in that moment and turning the whole world upside down and saying, church, I want to use you to bring a message of hope and of forgiveness and of freedom from oppression to Florence, and I want you to be a part of it. Would you be ready to hear it? Would you be ready if he said, it will cost you everything? Are you willing to follow me? I want to turn your world upside down, but here's a hint. Your world was already upside down. So when you turn a world that's upside down, upside down, you're turning it right side up, and he's saying, I want to involve you in turning the rest of the world right side up, in bringing the kingdom come to our community. Would we be in a place to hear it? You know, we heard that word marveled before, that the people marveled at Jesus' teaching. Uh, Mark actually uses the same word in the same account. And so if we turn over to Mark chapter 6, we see as he is sharing the same moment that Jesus is coming into town to teach in his hometown, uh, he uses this word. And so let's hear chapter 6, verse 1 of the book of Mark. He went away from there and came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him, and on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the, what, uh, what is the wisdom given to him? How were such mighty works done by his hands? Uh, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household, and he could not do any mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. And Jesus marveled. Earlier it says that the people were astonished in that same verse in Mark. That was a different word, actually, that he uses here for being astonished. Uh, but for Jesus, he says that he marveled. Have you ever marveled? When was the last time you marveled? Again, that same word used in Luke is used here about Jesus. Thalmazo, wonder, astonishment, marvel. What do you marvel at? What does it take for the creator of the whole universe to be astonished by something? I think of a couple of places that I've been, the Grand Canyon. You know, when I go back home and you're driving up uh, Platte Avenue, Highway 24, and you see Pikes Peak, and it's just this massive mountain towering over everything, and I continue to marvel at it. I'd come across uh, uh, this story, actually, of, of a tree 
It's in California. It's a sequoia. And uh, it's named the president. I don't know if you've seen this tree before. Here's a photo of it. And uh, yeah, let me tell you about the photo. It's kind of hard to see because it's all condensed in one. It's a 3,200-year-old giant sequoia. It's named the president. It's likely the largest tree on the planet. There's another sequoia that's taller uh, than it by a little bit, but not as wide. It's not as big around. And this gentleman, Michael Nichols, set out to take a, a photo of it. But you can't take a photo of this tree. And so he set up this entire crane system, okay? And, and he took 126 high-resolution photos that he then stitched together to create one photo of the president. And the reason that it is so small is because it's so big. Does that make sense? You remember a few weeks ago when I used my cat laser pointer and it went like five feet? Well, I splurged, spent 13 bucks on a real laser pointer. Right there is a person. You see that dot? That's a person. Man, I'm shaky. I, you know what? I can't even see it. Right there is a person. And, uh, and he's a little bit larger because he's out on one of the branches, so he's a lot more forward in the photo because the photos were not taken from the ground up. They were taken from a crane pulley system, so they're all straightforward shots. And so he's closer to the camera, which is why he looks larger. And you're just going to have to go home and look this up because right here is another person. And I just think of seeing this tree and marveling at it. Here's another note. When Jesus was preaching and reading out of Isaiah chapter 61, this tree was 1,200 years old. God creating this entire universe. You know, maybe it's when you're holding a child, a newborn baby, that you marvel that God can create life out of nothing that he can use us. Maybe you marvel at your own story in your own life, knowing what you've come through, knowing how you didn't deserve his grace, and yet he loved you enough to bring you into his family. What do you marvel at? Because Jesus marveled at their disbelief in his hometown, his family, and his friends, and it says, and even he could do no great work there because of their lack of faith. Let's turn to Matthew. Matthew is actually the only other place in scriptures that we have an account of Jesus marveling. Matthew chapter eight, the only other time in the gospels that Jesus marveled, a very different setting from, from this spot of, of being at home and with the people that he knows and is familiar with and they're familiar with him. It says in verse uh, five of chapter eight, when he entered Capernaum, again, about 20 miles from his hometown, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed, for I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. 
and to my servant do this, and he does it. And so he's giving this example. This centurion would have been in charge of about 80 uh, different soldiers, a, a cohort. Sometimes those co- cohorts would come together with, say, eight or nine other cohorts. So you'd have about 500 soldiers, and this, the eldest, uh, the senior centurion would be in charge of them all. And so he understood authority. And he's saying, I am under the authority of some. And when they say jump, I jump. And I have others that are under my authority. When I say do something, they go do something. They are obedient to what is being asked of them. And he is recognizing this Gentile again, the authority that the Son of Man had as he walked the earth. And you have that kind of authority. You don't even need to come to my house. I'm not worthy of having you under my roof, and it's fine because you have all the authority anyway. And if you say that there should be healing, there will be healing. And so he goes on, and and Jesus responds to him in verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And Jesus marveled at his faith. Do we make Jesus marvel? That's a pretty big question with those two examples of the only times that it says that he was astonished by people's faith or lack thereof. Does he marvel at the faith of Florence Christian Church? I hope so. I also hope not. Right? Because he marveled at the unbelief of one group. And then he marveled in astonishment at the great faith of another man. And so I wonder what it is that we're ready for. As Jesus is discerning the Spirit as he is heading into his public ministry, as he stands before a group of people that should have known the signs, should have been prepared and ready for a message, and he gives it to them saying, the kingdom of God has come and we're going to bring it to the world. Do you want to be a part of it? And they couldn't hear the message behind the person, and I wonder, are we ready to follow him into that? Would he marvel at our faith that we would say, you are in charge, you are in control. My years have shown me one thing, that you are faithful, you have never let me down. Now maybe that's not your experience. Maybe you haven't experienced God in this way and maybe you've experienced God through other people who have absolutely let you down. I challenge you, go to him directly. He won't, we're broken People are are injured and sometimes hurt people hurt other people and so we have done things wrong. The church has not always gone about things the right way. We've not always been focused on the right things. And so if that's been your experience, go to him directly. Don't rely on us because we are not reliable. Go to God and, and ask him if he'll be faithful to you. And join us as we attempt to follow him into what he has next for us. And my prayer for us is that he would be astonished at our faith to be able to follow him into whatever he's calling us to. We're going to continue to hear those kinds of stories as we dig into Luke. Because he may call us to things that we were not ready for, that were not our plan, 
that we didn't see on the horizon, that if you looked at our past, you would never say that this is the story of our future, and yet God has a different plan for you and for me and for us together. And I'm looking forward to what story he's going to write through us here in 2021. Let's pray. God, you are so gracious to us. In our brokenness and in... um, our frailty, God, and our weakness, and God, we don't have really anything to offer you in and of ourselves but our willingness to follow, but our willingness to be used. God, I thank you for uh, choosing people to be a part of your plan of bringing your kingdom come. God, as, as you bring uh, your will to the world um, through God's people, through us, God, also that you empower us. We have examples of you being empowered by the Spirit and and, uh, that you want to be faithful to that through us as well. God, we pray that you would marvel, but not at our disbelief. God, sometimes we will mess up and we will not have that faith. Uh, Help us in in our unbelief. God, that we can just be where you want us to be. God, that we would be listening and then we would be bold enough to follow. I thank you for hearing these prayers today. In Jesus' name, amen.